Welcome to the third episode of the Mac Bites podcast. I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Elaine Giles. And I'm Mike Burke. We're three Mac geeks based in the northwest of England who are also recent switchers from the world of Windows. In this episode, we'll be talking about the address book and the calendar applications, focusing on our experiences as switchers. And in our software review section, we'll look at how you can save yourself loads of time by creating shortcuts that work in any application. But more of that later. First, it's time to discuss this week's Apple-related news. Right then, off we go. Uh, Another terribly, terribly quiet week in the news. Not true. Friday the 26th of October, get your claws into Leopard. Of course, we're all anticipating there. Uh, I've got my place marked on the spot. Do you know where, if you go into the uh, traffic centre, there's a little, uh, all those fancy paving stones there, you know, they're like white marble. Uh, there's a big black cross there with my name on it. That's where my queue is, and my space in the queue is already there. <laughs> Elaine? <laughs> nice, <laughs> <course>. nice. <laughs> it is. <laughs> anyway, but the, all I just wanted to say is the uh, details of this. Uh, Apple have now confirmed, if you go to uh, apple.com, slash UK, slash buy, slash leopard, uh, the link is in the show notes, of course, uh, you'll be able to see there that the Apple stores are going to close at 4pm, just like they did with the iPhone launch in America, and then reopen at 6pm. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do in two hours, uh, but they said that they're going to stay open until 10pm. Uh, be Apple geniuses won't be uh, carrying out their usual genius bar tasks, but they'll certainly be on hand for help and advice for people, as they said. Also, just a quick mention, though, I mean, not every town has got an Apple store. Uh, there's a lot, a few, quite a few Apple resellers, premium resellers around the country, and they'll also be selling Leopard from 6pm. But uh, as you can imagine, some of these Apple uh, premium resellers are in uh, unusual locations, and another one near me is, is on a bit of an industrial estate. So the closing times will vary. It's certainly not going to be like all going to be open until 10pm like you are in a big shopping precinct. Uh, Elaine, Mike, you're, you're obviously there with me, are you? I'm we there are. before you, mate. <laughs> isn't the uh, isn't the 26th one of your days off? It certainly is. I'm uh, I'm off this week. What an amazing coincidence. Suspicious. Yes, uh, I, I I think you organise your days off around Apple launches. <laughs> I just need to uh, lose a bit of weight so uh, my, the new T-shirt doesn't hang off my beer gut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually ahead of you because uh, I've got a one-to-one session booked at 12 o'clock. So I'm hoping when it comes to four o'clock, they forget I'm there and uh, lock me in with with Leopard and I'm fine with that. Well, yeah, what's your one-to-one session for? Ooh, uh, whatever I fancy Leopard? this week. Oh, right, uh, okay. I might be a bit ahead of myself with that. I'll probably do some more video editing type stuff. Right. So Leopard uh, launching and we're all going to be there. We'll be there. Are we all buying? Yeah, of course we are. Well, I'm well, buying. I'm not stealing. <laughs> <laughs> we know you're buying. You're always buying. Yeah, well, I don't know. There's, uh, I've, had, I've had a bit of overtime at work recently, so I'm ready. <laughs> Just suspiciously never when Apple are launching a new product. Oh, anyway, I, I think the less said about this, the better. Uh, just in case my wife's listening. Next so, item second, on the news. Second question. We're all buying. Are we all installing? I'm going to be installing on a MacBook Pro. I can't install it on my main machine because, as I've said previously, I need CS3. Uh, Adobe's latest comment on that is, 
they're working towards um, a wholesale patch by the middle of November. So they won't be rolling out individual patches for each product. They'll be rolling out um, a sort of suite wide update and they're aiming for the middle of November. So I'll have it on one. I really can't imagine what they've got to patch. Can you? Well, no, but like they're saying there's been 300 changes they're not sure either they're, they really need to see how it works I'll probably to be honest install Leopard on the MacBook Pro then I'll put CS3 on it and, and see if it crashes and burns cross your fingers yeah well yeah for the best mm. especially if I've got to go out and train it <laughs> I've, I mean I've got no uh, production limitations really No, there's nothing work related or something like that that's holding me back I'm just going to launch straight into it don't care. <laughs> Brave man. No. If it goes south, you can always go back to your PC. I haven't got one. I'm completely uh, PC free now in the in this house. What he it's, means uh, is he's sold them to unsuspecting punters. Uh, they were fully refurbished. <laughs> were they really? <laughs> you, these just weren't the kind of people that you explained how wonderful Apple was. You didn't tell no, them that, no. did you? No, no these, are, these are the kind of people who are just, no, they're not, uh, they don't do change. You know, those people that don't think different. Yeah, I know the type. Yep. Yeah, right. Next, in the item on the news, of course, uh, what would be a news item from Mike Burke without mentioning the bloody iPhone? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what would you no. expect? It's finally been confirmed. Uh, we've hinted towards it before that uh, Orange are going to get the iPhone in France, but it has been confirmed. But because we talked about it before in episode one, France has got uh, some unusual laws or some different laws from the rest of the you know the world. Uh, but they have got a law over there that's insisting that uh, um, they can't sell uh, a phone that's or they can only they can't only sell a phone that's locked to the carrier. They must sell a phone that's unlocked, according to French law, and so therefore they they have you know it has been confirmed that there, there will be an unlocked phone for sale in France. They've they're launching the locked phone on, on November the 29th, but they've still not confirmed if the unlocked version will be launched at the same date. And the locked phone is 399 euros, same price as what it is in Germany, but they've still. Uh, nowhere near to re releasing a price for the unlocked phone. Uh, I mean, what on earth are they going to charge for the unlocked phone? I've no idea. Uh, and I do wonder now: is is it going to be worth it? Because if you buy the unlocked phone, it's not going to have the same support from the carrier in terms of you know features, uh, software updates, and things like that. Uh, I do wonder if that's going to you know are, are Apple purposely going to you know not release you know, certain features for the unlocked phone. But then again, it certainly could be more popular with, uh, you know, as more, or as Apple have also mentioned, there's going to be uh, third-party apps uh, on the way, you know, and a, a full software development kit. Uh, Elaine, what do you think? You, now you would be more tempted by an unlocked phone. Um, I find it incredible that France get away with this. It's, it's good news for the French. <laughs> Uh, but I fail to see why, when we're all in uh, Europe, how this happens. I really do. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be that uh, relevant anymore. Uh, once uh, the, you know the, the third-party app gets official support from from Apple, and I think therefore you know 
I think the price that they're going to have to charge. I mean, for example, if you look in comparison to a recent, you know, smart uh, smartphone launch from Nokia, the Nokia N95. Yes, you could get that for a very reasonable price with a contract. But if you wanted to buy that SIM free and unlocked, which it was for sale, you're talking best part of 450, 500 pound. So there's, you know, an example, you know, of of paying at least, you know, four times, you know, five times the price uh, of getting, you know, of buying it unlocked rather than locked. So what we are we suggesting now that an unlocked phone is going to cost in the region of a thousand pound? I don't think I don't think they can charge that much because they they're going to price it out of the market. But then then again then again that might that might be the plan. Yeah, yeah. They could purposely price it out of the market, couldn't they? Uh, and that'll, uh, that'll well, it sticks to the letter of the law, but not quite the meaning of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, it could they're be. providing an unlocked phone, but at what cost? I don't know. I think I'll wait and see what happens with that one because I've got a feeling there'll, there'll be sort of some worldwide revolt that um, the French have got an unlocked phone. I'd like an iPhone. I'd like to use my existing SIM with it. That way I can stay on the contract that I'm on. Um, so I think I think that's a bit unfair to the rest of us. Well, I won't be booking my uh, tickets on Eurostar just yet. <laughs> no, no, that's going to say. It's, uh, I can't imagine that uh, there's going to be a... A load of ferry crossings to go and bring a load in. I can't imagine that at all. Because I think it's going to be priced too high. But leading into that story, a nice little segue into the next story, is the official announcement from Apple that there's going to be a third-party application SDK, software development kit. Finally, finally, the information has come out, which everybody has been waiting for uh, in the developer world, is that Apple are going to support third-party developers uh, by supplying them with an SDK. And the, the news has come out, and interestingly, the news has come out from one of Steve Jobs' famous open letters, just like he did with the DRM-free uh, issue with music and things. And he put an open letter on uh, Apple.com uh, news feed, uh, hot news, uh, Apple.com forward slash hot news. And I just want to quote a, a, a couple of sentences from uh, what Steve had said. And he starts it off, uh, let me just say it. We want native third-party applications on the iPhone, and we plan to have an SDK in developers' hands in February. We are excited about creating a vibrant third-party developer community around the iPhone and enabling hundreds of new applications for our users. He goes on to say, it will take until February to release an SDK because we're trying to do two diametrically opposed things at once provide an advanced and open platform to developers while at the same time protect iPhone users from viruses, malware, privacy attacks, etc. We think a few months of patience will be rewarded by many years of great third-party applications running on safe and reliable iPhones. And he just signs it simply, Steve. But, but, and here's the, uh, the, big, the big but, I've never seen such an exciting PS at the end of something. The SDK will also allow developers to create applications for iPod Touch. What do you think of that? iPod Touch? Great news, great news, because um, Apple can't do everything, and, and I've seen hundreds of small, very, very useful applications just for the, for the Mac, so if, if those kind of things can be transported to the, uh, the iPhone and the iTouch, it's good news. Yep, good one. I'm probably more likely to get an iPod Touch than an iPhone, so uh, if anything nice and useful on there, I, I think I'd like that. Well, I mean, the, the criticism, criticisms of uh, of the iPhone, uh, sorry, of the iPod Touch, 
have been that um, it's, it, it seems to be a bit feature crippled. Well, I think this is uh, going to silence a lot because, of course, the developers are going to be able to throw all sorts at it, and it's going to be—I mean, it's going to fly off the shelves when when this gets going. Uh, you know, people have been wary of you know an iPhone investment because of the contracts, because of you know the commitment that's involved with that. Uh, an iPod Touch is going to be well, that's going to be their answer, really. It's going to because it's got the same platform, the same interface. The developers are going to have great fun with that, I think. And I just wanted to say that it's not all iPhone news this week. Uh, <laughs> iTunes, remember in episode one, I, I knew this had come up again. I knew we'd, you know it wouldn't be long before we were talking about it again. I mean, episode one, we talked. I, I talked about uh, Amazon uh, in America launching their MP3 download service, and I was suggesting that. For once, we've naturally got the possibility of some real competition to iTunes. Guess what? Lo and behold, iTunes have now just reduced the price of their DRM-free tracks by 20 pence in the UK and uh, by 30 cents in America. So it's uh, now 79 pence for a DRM-free track uh, in this country, 99 cents in America. And, you know, that's it's, it's obviously it's bound to be a, in response to what Amazon have done. Uh, Amazon and, and the other record companies. So now uh, iTunes have now reduced the price of their DRM free tracks, but not only just is it EMI labels now, and it's now got over 2 million tracks offered in the higher quality DRM free iTunes Plus format, but also we've got um, tracks from several independent labels as well which is good really to get some more promotion for the independents so I'm, I'm really pleased about that and there's nothing I, I like better than uh, getting some support for you know for some of the smaller independents I think that's great news uh, so I, I definitely think it's uh, you know going to be uh, at the end of the day I think we can all agree that competition is proving once again it's proving that competition is good and you know, we don't want iTunes to be, you know, the only one. And I think that you know, competition uh, is going to be great. You know, it's going to improve things even further and give more choice and 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 even more value. What do you think? Well, it certainly has done this time. Uh, you said that they'd have to do something, and they've certainly responded. I'm still suspicious as to uh, the motives of the companies who went with Amazon. Uh, that seemed too prearranged to me, but um, it's turned out well for all of us, I suppose. It, it does seem pre-arranged, and, and Universal, I think, possibly is, is one of the instigators of this because they've got a, a bit of an ongoing fallout uh, with Apple. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's, you know, and, and people have talked about, you know, the Universal's gripe with Apple is about, and another company's gripe with Apple is their re refusal to do flexible pricing. And in, in, what they mean by that is they want to charge premium rates for newly released items and possibly then, you know, offer discounted rates for older items, you know, older tracks. Uh, but Apple, have, I, don't, I, I, I like, I don't mind Apple's model, uh, iTunes model, in terms of a standard price for everything. Uh, you know where you are with that. Uh, that's it does suit me, to be honest. Uh, I haven't got a problem with that. But now the record, and, and I like to think that Universal would come back on board uh, with Apple and, you know, get the differences sorted out. And I want to see, you know, rather than just EMI labels doing the DRM-free stuff and iTunes, I'd like to see the others jump on board. And, you know, and it's got to be the future. I mean, 
I think it, all the evidence is there that nobody wants tracks that are you know DRM'd up to the hilt. So I definitely think that is 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 looking good anyway for the future. It's, and this is just, I mean, I think Steve Jobs started the ball rolling in uh, early on in the year. I think it was February when he did his open letter uh, asking for DRM free, and it's it's another step, another uh, turn of the cog, and it's on its way definitely. And finally, just to finish off this week's news items, uh, our usual, my usual little, little good, the bad and the ugly from uh, this week's news. Uh, first of all, a little item for the good. Uh, Apple's released a, a nice, really fancy video, uh, Apple guided tour video for Leopard. Uh, you can check it out at apple.com slash macOS 10 slash guided tour. Uh, the link's in the show notes. And to be honest with you, I've watched the video and it's good quality video, definitely. Shows you some in detail some of the great new features and it just certainly uh, ensures that we're definitely going to get it <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to some of those new features uh, namely I, I've, I've had a real good look at the spaces and what a design that is and so simple and yet so useful uh, so can't wait to be using that so uh, I think we you know we talked about earlier on about some of the new features uh, I know Mike you said you were looking for some of the new features in uh, in the new mail oh, app, so didn't yeah. Uh, Elaine, what's uh, is there something that's uh, caught your eye that's new? Um, I'm can't wait to have a look at the new uh, preview, uh, new which preview is an app that's right, yeah. that's sort of, you know, you think oh it's there, it's just a viewer, but well, they've actually they, added some in. Well, some they've nice completely rebranded it. They have, and some of the features they've put in are, are sort of to the level of photo editing. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it certainly does. Uh, so it's all looking good for there. So that's our this week's good. This week's the the bad, as I call it, from the good, the bad, and the ugly. So something that's real pain in me recently is uh, the iPod Touch reviewers, in my opinion, just don't seem to get it. Uh, an example is uh, an online mag and you know, a print magazine as well, Business Week. Uh, one of their journalists, Cliff Edwards, has done his review of the iPod Touch. And even uh, our good friend, uh, Mac Format Magazine, this month has uh, give the, you know, knocked the iPod Touch down for what they... they, they well, in fact, they're just knocking it as the iPod Touch has just been a crippled iPhone, and they're using it. You know, they're using the words terminology like it's got no mail, it's got no Google Maps, it's got no Bluetooth, it's got no camera, it's got no speaker, no microphone, no widgets, no cellular radio for internet access when Wi-Fi is unavailable. Oh, and lo and behold, there's no mobile phone in it either. It's not a phone, <laughs> people. <laughs> it's an iPod. And let's be honest, it's an iPod with just with this lovely added feature of an of the iPhone's amazing interface. But what Steve has just said recently, the iPhone applications SDK uh, is going to be coming in February uh, with the iPod Touch. So, is it really a crippled device? Well, whether they think it is or not, it's not stopping sales because every time I've been in the Apple store since it was released, they're out of stock. It's coming in about three times a week, and three times a week it's selling out. That's it. I'd like I said, the reviewers just don't seem to get it. Uh, I think it's a, a beautiful device. It's the stunning. I mean, it, it is an evolution of the iPod, but it's not a phone. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and it doesn't come with a monthly price tag either. No, no. So we've done the good, done the bad, and we'll finish off with the usual, the ugly. And all I can say is, when I thought of this little thing, instead of doing the and finally section like everybody the news reader does, I wanted to do the good and bad, the ugly. But I come up with the idea of the ugly, you know, filling in the ugly spot. In all honesty, it wasn't meant to be so literal. 
but yet again I found something that's just downright ugly <laughs> that's all, the only way of describing it uh, check out I found this link on uh, Engadget's uh, weblog and it's called the Barbie iPod Dock yes it's pink and it's bloody flowery it's awful so Check out, <laughs> Elaine. Have you had a look? I have. I'm afraid. I'm I looking have. at it right now. It is bad. If that is to appeal to the feminine market, please no. It's well, bad. Might appeal you know, to the ten year olds. Well, no. Honestly, I, I've I have surveyed it. My 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 daughter is nine years old. She has an iPod. And I showed her this. I said, "Would you like this for Christmas?" And she looked at me with the most, you know, sarcastic look in her eyes. You know, are you kidding? Wise, wise child. What can I describe it as? It looks like a, looks like a Quatermass experiment gone severely wrong. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a it's a pink Quatermass stroke day of the Triffids. <laughs> Do we have a price like... for this monstrosity? We oh, don't. Know. Oh, what no. a shame. I do wonder. I mean, obviously they're going to try and get it out for in time for Christmas, but please don't. Uh, oh, it's been on Engadget's website, so I don't think they'll. Uh, hopefully, they won't bring it over to the UK. And surely they believe that no UK. I, I think the only place that might sell might be Japan or somewhere like that. Bad. And, and there's then... me thinking you were going to mention in the ugly the three new iPhone adverts. Uh, more, there's more of them, isn't there? There is. <laughs> and last week, when I said to you. They are genuine people. You said no, they're out of work actors. <laughs> this week, the, the, the two of the three adverts mentioned um, blogs that they wrote for or companies that they work for, and I looked them up. These are genuine people. Oh, they've used genuine people this time. Mm. They must have heard my criticism last time. You reckon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first three still weren't genuine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that finishes off the roundup of this week's Apple-related news. I'm sure that uh, there's loads more out there. Check out all the greatest um, weblogs out there. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, well, there's just too much for us to go through, isn't there, on this one episode. Plenty more for next week, though. It seems to be all happening this uh, recently with Apple. And you know what it's like when it's coming up towards the Christmas season. It's going to be crazy. And now it's time for Switcher's Corner, where we talk about our experiences of switching from Windows to OS X. In this episode, we focus on address book and calendar after last week's discussion on mail. I must be honest and say that whilst I was a Windows user, although I kept details of my contact in Outlook, I didn't really use any of Outlook's other contact functionality. And the same can be said of calendar. However, since switching to the Mac, I actually find the address book and the calendar applications useful. Features such as the ability to share a, published cal share a published calendar and have multiple calendars make this application usable. Anyone who heard last week's show may remember that I talked about a Windows application called O2M from littlemachines.com, which I used to convert my mail that was stored in PSTs in Outlook into a format that Apple's Mail app can read. And the good news is that this application can also be used to convert contacts and calendar appointments too. It creates an ICS file for calendar and a VCF file for contacts, both of which can be imported into the OS X apps. Now, I know, Elaine, you use these applications on OS X. What do you make of them? Well, yes, as we discussed last week, um, I used Outlook for my mail, but I'd long since given up using it um, for calendars and address book items. 
Uh, that was because it had sort of crashed on me once too often. Um, I'm shamefaced to admit that my calendar was a physical calendar with a pen um, because I just couldn't find an electronic one that was flexible enough really. When I got my Mac I opened the address book, I opened iCal, had a quick look at them and they looked a bit basic. Um, you know what Apple are like, it's all suave, sophisticated software and I looked at it and thought it looked underpowered. When I actually went back a couple of months later and, and had a look at them again, I realised just how powerful they actually were. Deceptively so, um, simple. They are, they are. It looks like it doesn't do much. Um, for instance, you, you look at the address book and you think, oh, there's not many fields there. Whereas in Outlook, obviously you're, you're bombarded with fields. There's about six tabs full of fields. There's every field you can think of. But when you actually look at a dress book and you think, oh, you know, you can add extra fields, you can change the default, you can do this, you can change the labels on them. It's actually, it is deceptively powerful. So I did start using a dress book and now I'm happy to say all my contacts are in there. And a couple of months after that, I started having a serious look at iCal and um, everything's in there as well. So um, gone are the days of my paper diary. And I'm happy to say that I'm now using iCal as a sort of um, GTD hard landscape. Um, anybody who's into GTD will understand that term. And it works very, very well. Very, very well. Glad that I did ha go back and have a look at them both. That's great. Uh, Mike, are you using these apps as well? I certainly am. And um, what, what Elaine just mentioned then about when you first, when I first switched myself, uh, being a, you know an Outlook 2003 user that I was using the last version, uh, but almost the last version I was using. When I came over to the, I saw mail, and to be honest with you, like I say, I got my instant impression was this is too simple, too basic, too, too without, you know, surely this doesn't do what I need. But, and, 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 I've, and I think we can all agree that we've had these problems with Outlook uh, in terms of, you know, reliability issues and not being able, you know, the interface itself is not being, uh, user-friendly between when you want to carry out the different tasks uh, and managing your different items. What I liked about this, uh, the way Apple and Mac OS X have done it, by separating them into their own little individual units, their address book, the calendar function, iCal, and the mail function, mail, because they've separated them like that, they seem to be able to eat much easier to manage. And we are, I think, you know, between us, God knows how many contacts we've got, God knows how many calendar uh, items we're putting in to-dos and uh, reminders and things like that and appointments. And between the two, so much, I find them so much easier to manage because they are separated. I always, you know, was kind of led to believe that, oh yeah, shove everything all in one and, and off you go. But no, I'm so, I'm actually now happier working like this. And I think that the, the applications as individual components are easily as powerful uh, as what I used before, but now I just find them much more easy to manage. I've, I find them easy to manage as, as three separate applications, but uh, I also like a lot of the features, particularly in calendar. Um, I mean, for me, um, address book is is an address book. I don't think there's there's much more that you can say about that. You can add a point. You can sorry, not appointments. You can add contacts. You can edit contacts. It's got this groups feature, which is is quite nice. But calendar, I think, for me, is is got some nice features. The fact that you can have multiple calendars. I've got about half a dozen for uh, various different um, groups that I'm involved with. Uh, I've got one for work, so I know where I'm going. Um, and I like the fact that you can colour code each one. You can very easily switch appointments and to-dos from one calendar to another. 
Um, and what I also like is the, the calendar sharing feature. The fact that you can publish, you can subscribe, um, and you can even go on the web and there's, there's actually plenty of other calendars that uh, other people have created that you can just subscribe to. Although uh, one of the issues I have with that is it's a manual process for that person to keep those calendars up to date. So for example a fixture list for your favourite football team is one I subscribed to last year but I found that um, it wasn't being kept up to date. Uh, so I unsubscribed from that and ended up creating my own. What I also like is you've just got a, like a, a two menu click to back up and restore, which is something I found very, very useful when I was trying to sync with my, um, my palm top. I was hitting problems because it wasn't directly compatible with, uh, with the Mac and uh, I had to do a, a couple of workarounds and it, it kept losing the information. Although that's, that's nothing to do with... Um, the, the calendar program, it's, uh, as I say, it's uh, an issue with my particular PDA. Well, so you mentioned syncing then. I'd just like to jump in there. Uh, and that's, you know, again, because of the individual components that are in Mac OS X, the components, you know, seem to be able to, not only for me to manage, but the, the operating system is, in my opinion, does seem to be able to manage the individual components better. And I've had no issues with syncing. Uh, I've got... Uh, at the moment, waiting for a, a certain new release of a phone, but at the moment I'm using a Sony Ericsson phone, and when I first, you know, started using Mac OS X, the phone was immediately detected by iSync via the Bluetooth uh, function, and it's great for syncing uh, my calendar events and all my address book items, and, you know, my appointment reminders and, you know, to-dos and things like that, and it syncs over great, it does, and, I, and I, again, back to this issue that I think the reason it works so well is because Apple, the, the Mac OS X environment seems to be able to just manage these individual, you know, these chunks of uh, applications, keep them separate, but get them to all synchronize with each other perfectly. Uh, so that's a great feature. Uh, I really make you know use of that syncing up my mobile phone. And you mentioned then about publishing your calendars. Uh, I've, I, I use Dot Mac myself, and I can publish my calendars to Dot Mac. And I can, it then it creates an RSS feed, and like, as you said, where you can subscribe to it. And to be honest with you, I, I mean, I'd use it mostly because at work, when you know, in my place of work and my day job, I'm stuck using Windows PCs. But every now and then, it's just dead handy. I need to, you know, if I want to uh, book something through work, you know, some appointments I've got to attend, or you know, some events I've got to attend with work, it's dead handy. I can just click on a bookmark on me. Internet Explorer, and uh, I struggled to get that out there. Sorry, uh, my Windows PC at work, and my calendar comes up on screen just to, for me to be able to keep an eye on. I'm not clashing with any personal event that I've got, you know. That's uh, obviously, you know, due to <laughs> we've got very busy family life, you know, and it's so easy to oh yeah, I can't uh, go to that meeting on you know out of town on that such a date because. I need to be back in time for, you know, to deal with uh, a family, you know, issue, you know, family events. Or an Apple uh, launch event. Yeah, or an Apple launch event. <laughs> you have to get that in. Uh, so, yeah, I do spend more time uh, with my family than uh, than the Apple store. Uh, Only, <laughs> staff just. Only just. But no, it, and, and I think that's uh, another great feature that just works. Yeah, I believe there's something coming in Leopard um, to do with calendar sharing and the ability to just have a... Uh, publish your calendar to a password protected web page because at the moment it's um, it's of course published to .mac and if someone else needed to see your calendar or, or amend it you would need to give them um, your .mac credentials 
Which is fine if you trust them, but because they have access to, to the whole of you don't Mac stuff. No, we don't do that. No. <laughs> we don't want to no. do that. Nobody can make appointments for me. <laughs> Man in charge Apart from Mr. Jobs. Elaine, but I was just saying then, Elaine, that I think you use the, the uh, do you use the calendar function with publishing to, uh, and so you can pick up the calendars elsewhere. Um, no, because I have my MacBook Pro. So what I tend to do with it is synchronize up to Dot Mac, then synchronize it down to my MacBook Pro, and then go with it. Um, I have got a PDA, but because it wasn't directly supported, it's the same PDA that Mike T's got. Um, because it wasn't directly supported, it wasn't something that I played around with. What I did find was um, I was impressed with was um, I was putting in uh, changes to contacts and I needed to get them onto my mobile phone. And I'd actually bought a kit to do this for my mobile phone a couple of years back and uh, it never worked right. You know, it came with software, it came with a cable, it came with copious instructions that I followed to the letter and it never actually managed to sort of synchronise anything successfully to start with. Um, it was supposed to work with Outlook and it, it just didn't work. So when I had these new contact details in I uh, in address book, I thought, hmm, I wonder about Bluetoothing it. And it's one of those, another one of those situations where I thought, it'll never work, but I'll give it a go. And uh, it did. I just clicked the Bluetooth button, got the two things talking to each other and away they went. And I was I was amazed. I, you know, it's only it's only like a one way thing for me. I don't change the contact details that often, but just to be able to send them to your mobile phone and and it, and it just works. It's a typical Apple thing. It just works. So I know I don't synchronize to a PDA, but I, I do like to Bluetooth my contacts to myself, and it works great. Okay. Um. Any other comments on um, address book and calendar? Can't wait to see the, what they've done with iCal on Leopard. Um, I think iCal is a fantastic tool, but I think it could look a little bit better. So I'm hoping for a nice cosmetic makeover for it. Yeah, looking forward to that too. And the, and the first, and I'm afraid to admit that the first entry alphabetically in my address book is Apple Store Trafford Centre. There's a surprise. <laughs> is that the one that's called most as well? <laughs> no comment. No, I don't need to call them. <laughs> yeah, they call you, don't they? They fill you in on when they're launching stuff and you book yeah. the day off. Hmm. Seems to work well for you both. <laughs> okay, guys. And uh, that's it for Switcher's Corner for today. Right, and uh, time for the software review. Well, a little bit of an unusual one this week. Um, it's not particularly a piece of software I'm going to be talking about. Um, it's more of a concept, which I've called Global Shortcuts. And it was after our discussion of SAFT in episode one, when uh, Mikey B was so impressed with um, the shortcut features that uh, SAFT adds to Safari. And I discussed that they're also available in Opera, and that was where I first found them. And I passed comment that I'd managed to uh, set my shortcuts free from Safari, and I can use them in all the browsers I've got installed. I've since counted how many browsers, and I have seven browsers installed. And these <laughs> global shortcuts... What can I say? I'm a browser junkie. These shortcuts work across of them all. So how did I do that? Right, well, first of all, you need to know a couple of concepts. Um, I'm assuming you guys have used Word. I certainly have. Not anymore. Spawn of the Microsoft devil that Word is. And in Word, there's a feature called Autocorrect. Are right. you still with me? Yeah. Go on, go on. Mm. Well, Autocorrect was added to Word to correct misspellings. So if you're constantly putting H-T-E when you mean T-H-E, it will correct it for you. So it sort of sits there on your shoulder watching yourself type. And when you make a mistake... 
it corrects it for you. Now, obviously, for it to be able to correct it for you, you have to constantly misspell it the same way. So H-T-E is corrected, but maybe E-T-H wouldn't be. It very much depends on what's programmed to be corrected. And depends how much I've been drinking. Well, yeah. <laughs> as long as you always make the same mistakes, you'll be fine. Right, now, the thing with this feature was, it was a great feature in Word, but it only worked in Word. So the, the context of it was, you know, if you misspelled something in Excel, tough, because the autocorrect was in Word. So uh, that's the kind of feature that I'm talking about. That's the kind of technology that I've utilised, but obviously not in Word. So what I've used is a system-wide autocorrection piece of software, of which there's quite a few. The one that I'm using at the moment is called Typeinator. But there's also Text Expander, Type It For Me and several others that do the same kind of job. And what they do is they provide you with a system wide autocorrect facility. So let's go back to the example of HTE for the. You know that you constantly keep doing that and it, you'd like it to be autocorrected, whether you're in Excel, PowerPoint, Word, Keynote or wherever. And you don't want to have to set up each application individually. So the thing to do is to get one of these applications, these system-wide autocorrect tools, and program all your common misspellings into there. And that's really what these um, types of software are useful for. The other feature that people use them for is if you're constantly finding that you're putting your address in something or a standard block of text, you can do the same thing with that. You can give it, in effect, a little code. So... Um, maybe I mean, in my example it's going to be uh, URLs, but say you've got like a with best wishes from Elaine Giles and then they've got your email, your telephone number, your website, your fax number. You can take the whole of that block of text and call it sort of wrap up. So you type in the words wrap up into your email and it automatically expands it to a whole paragraph of text for you. That sounds really so, cool. Yeah, it is. It works very, very well. And uh, that's what I was using it for. Uh, initially to expand sort of uh, and you're not limited to text either you can have plain text you can have rtf so it's formatted text or you can even have graphics in there as well so if you'd like to put your signature on your emails you can do that as well you can just type sig if that's the code word you've used and it will expand it to include a graphic of your signature as well so that's like what everybody talks about with these applications they are the examples that you get from everybody. Um, correcting things and, and big blocks of boilerplate text, in effect. And the context of that is it works system wide. So it doesn't matter what application you're in, these things will work there. What I needed to do was narrow the context down a little bit. I'd like um, my shortcuts to work in all my browsers. So, for instance, one of the sites I go to a lot, BBC News, I'd like to be able to type into my address bar news and it go to the BBC News site. So it takes the word news and it changes it to the full URL for the BBC News site. And that was what I'd done in Opera. And I did use the word news uh, and I did it in Saft as well. And again, I used the word news. That worked in both those situations because, again, the context was very narrow. The Opera shortcuts only worked in Opera and the Saft shortcuts only worked in Safari. So there wasn't an issue of me being in text edit and typing the word news and it automatically changing to the URL of the BBC News homepage. 
so the context was only in an individual browser. Of course, me with my browser fetish, I've got so many browsers, I found myself going to a different browser and typing in news and all my other shortcuts, and of course they didn't work. Wrong context. So what I did was, I thought, right, I'll take a look at this, the software I've already got and see if I can sort of make this do what I want. Now, there was no point in creating a global shortcut called News and having it expand to the URL of the BBC News site, because then I'd find every time I type the word News, it automatically changed the URL. So what I did was, I thought, right, I need keywords that I will never use anywhere else. So the little keyword that I type in, I preface it with an unusual key. And I think it's known as the section key. If you have a look at your keyboards, it's just under the escape key and it looks like two S's overlapping. I believe it's the section key. So what I do is in any browser in the address bar, I type in section key and then the word news. No space or anything, just section key news. And when I press enter, I get taken to the BBC News homepage. What Typeinator, in my case, or what, whichever one of these software applications you choose to try, will do is watch what you're typing in, and as soon as it sees that, that code, it will delete the code and replace it with the full URL. So what I've done is I've created lots of these uh, shortcuts for all my favourite sites. Some of them are hideously long and complicated, and I tend to keep the codes very, very short. Um, you do, in Typeinator, need them to be at least two characters. But, for instance, the one I use for Amazon is the section key and Z. So it is two characters because I always have this section key at the beginning. And I type section key Z, press enter, it goes to Amazon.co.uk. And, like I say, it does this across any browser. Now, what you can do is you can have a set of shortcut keys that are locked to a particular application. Now, I didn't want that because I've got so many browsers. So I use that section key to differentiate. Now, of course, they're not locked to the browser applications. So if, for instance, I'm writing a piece about MacBytes and I'd like to, the MacBytes address putting in, I can type my section key and MB and it expands to MacBytes. So the shortcut keys that I've got are completely global. They're not actually limited to the browsers, but I only tend to use them in the browsers. But if I did happen to be in text edit and I did happen to type in section MB, it would expand it to MacBytes. So if you are using URLs, referring to a, a URL in maybe a blog post or something, then it would work in that context as well. I just remember to use the section key. And then if you want to create a different um, set of shortcuts for something totally different, so not to do with URLs, then what you could choose to do is use a different key to start it off with. So maybe a greater than sign or a less than sign, or there's even a plus minus sign above that section key. And you probably don't use that for anything else. So that would ensure that these shortcut keys that you create, these little codes, don't automatically expand sometimes and you don't notice. Because one of the things that used to happen uh, with me training people, I'd go into companies, I'd go into uh, other training companies and I'd go in to do a word course. And um, I'd go to the machine and I'd notice that um, somebody else had obviously been training on Word and people had set up autocorrect entries to um, some of them not so savoury, to be honest, if you think it through. You know, you could be typing dear sir and it could be changing that to 
anything you like, really. So think it through laterally. Yes, you're ahead of me. Yes, I've I've actually had experience of that before. It's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, you, you start a training course and, and you're not aware that somebody's already been at the, these autocorrect entries and um, it's doing all sorts. So you need to check that. I have heard of people that have been sacked for that. Um, you know, they were, they were putting in swear words and all sorts and they, they weren't caught before the letters went out to the clients. And that, that's what had happened. People were doing it for a joke. So um, knowing that that goes on in Word, I was uh, at pains to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes with these things. And that's why I use these little identifier keys at the beginning. And I find that's a fantastic way to keep all your shortcuts separate from anything else you may type, but available in any application you like. So I call them global shortcuts. And what I've done is to... Um, explain it a little bit better so you can read it at your leisure. I've done a blog post about um, how it actually works and uh, with screenshots of how you create these things as well. So I'll put the URL for that in the show notes and that lets you view it at your leisure. So is that something that you two guys use or not? I don't use it at the moment uh, but it looks really useful. It's uh, something that I would uh, I would love to use, yes. Well, I've got a question. Uh... And you mentioned uh, you're using an application. You're using Typenator. I am. And, and and this this is an application. Typenator is an application which um, you have running all the time, and right. it's what controls it. So you put your shortcuts in Typenator. Right. I've also tried another one called Text Expander, and I was actually using Text Expander um, for about three months. I have heard Text Expander mentioned. I've just. Text Expander used to be known as Textbander, and uh, it got bought out and it changed its name to Text Expander. The difference between the two, and they are the only two that I've tried, I haven't tried uh, Type It For Me or any of the others. Um, Text Expander runs as a service, so it puts a little icon uh, in your bar at the top of the screen, right. and when you click it, it opens up the system preferences, and there is a preference pane in there, and that's where you put your shortcuts in and you manage the thing. There was actually a new version, version 2 of Text Expander, released just last week. And what it added to it was the ability to have different collections of these shortcuts. Now, that was a feature that Typenator already had, which was why I changed to Typenator. But Text Expander has actually added that now. Now, Typenator doesn't run as a service. That runs as an application. So you will see an icon for it in your dock. Um, it's neater to probably have it running as a service and now it, they've added sets to it it might be sort of more viable another reason that I went to Typenator was if you think of the number of ways that you may misspell something and you're never actually going to know how you're going to misspell it until you've misspelled it there is in uh, Text Expander you start off with a blank screen and you, you put in your shortcuts and, and your autocorrections Typenator ships with an 800 word autocorrect dictionary automatically. So straight out of the box, you've got 800 autocorrect entries for you. The other thing is on the Typenator homepage, and we'll, again, we'll put the URL in the show notes, there is a 2300 word extra correction dictionary available for you. So you've got over 3,000 misspellings taken care of. And I've noticed as I'm typing, there'll be a slight little 
beep and I'll think, oh, I wonder what I've misspelled because it's auto-correcting as you go. Now, you can turn the audio feedback off, but it's actually interesting to see how many times you're misspelling something. And it, it's um, the type of corrections that you've got available are things like the HTE, but also when you run two words together. So the common running two words together are already included in these um, external dictionaries that you can get for free. Um, so you can search the web for them and install them as extra sets. I also find in Typeinator it's really useful. Uh, when I was preparing the blog post I needed to take some screenshots and I wanted to start off with none of my URLs available so I needed to back up and backing up was as simple as clicking on the collection and dragging and dropping it to the desktop and it made an externalised collection that what I could do then is actually send to somebody and then they could have exactly the same shortcuts as I've got. So I find Typeinator uh, nice and easy to uh, work with. But as I say, they're very, very similar applications. I think Typeinator is actually the cheapest. It's around $20 and Text Expander's around $30. Well, I've got the page up now. I've just downloaded it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was quick. It sounds brilliant. It sounds Somebody's keen. He is. Typeinator single license, unit price, 19.99 euros. Ah, euros. So, yeah, so that's what... Twelve, thirteen pound. Yeah, about thirteen pounds, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so that's uh, that's perfectly reasonable. That is, that sounds brilliant. Sounds absolutely, you know. I mean, to think that it's such a, you know, a, a, a small application that's so powerful. You know, I mean, it's only a two and a half megabyte download. Oh, it's very <laughs> tiny. It's all. It also doesn't affect. I thought the thing with these things, when you've got these things running in the background is, oh, you know, it's going to slow the system down while it watches everything that you type. But it doesn't. I've not noticed a difference. And at one point, I actually had both of them running because I was trying to test one and I'd already got all my shortcuts in the other. And I thought, this is going to be interesting because they're both going to be watching what I'm typing, you know, and you could get some overlap. But they happily work together as well. So at one point I considered using one application for one thing and the other for another. But then I decided because I could have these groups of things, um, I'd, I'd stick to the one and see how I got on. And like I say, the autocorrect dictionaries that you can download were a real plus because I didn't have to program anything in. Obviously, I've got my own misspellings, which for an IT trainer is a bit of a problem. I constantly spell click incorrectly. I'm typing too quickly and I constantly misspell it the same way. And if you think about the number of times you type click when you're writing a manual, as in click the mouse, click the button, click here, click there, the things pinging at me all day because I'm just, I, I just that's one I can't get myself right with. So um, I, I have added a few of my own, but the majority of them are already there in these um, downloadable ones. So if you are going to try type in A to download the, um, I think it's from Adam Engst from Tidbits. You see that on the homepage there, Mike? Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Uh, lots of fantastic piece of kit uh, considering it's free. Right, Elaine, uh, I've just got another question for you. About uh, text expand, uh, typeinator and text expander. You're talking about the differences between the two. Uh huh. You said there's uh, a dictionary included in typeinator for to correct your spelling mistakes. I did. And is it does it text expander work in a similar way, where you can add dictionary? Um, it it works in a similar way. Um, I haven't actually seen any dictionaries available for that one to download you know, sort of a huge correction dictionary, but there may well be some available. What you can do uh, easily with Typeinator and Text Expander is um, export 
from one to another because I had uh, snippets in Text Expander that I wanted to take into Typeinator. So I exported them and then opened them up in Typeinator. I'm assuming, although I haven't tried it, so I couldn't swear to it, it works in the same way. So you could download the dictionary into Typeinator and export it into Text Expander if you wanted. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm going to have to give this a go. You just you can think of so you know like I mean we've mentioned it. Uh, I'm a Quicksilver fan, and I can see I don't, you know so when you the way you were talking about Typeinator and, and, and Text Expander, those kind of thing, I, I do wonder like which came first because the similarities in the the way that are the way they're integrated and the way you know with your operations with you know with your day to day using you know of the OS and you know of your applications it's that you know that ethos about just a couple of keystrokes is all you need yeah and and it's you know it's I, I'm now I'm I feel as if I could take to typeinator you know a, a program like that because of I've, I've talked to the you know using quicksilver in that way you know I've got me in that mindset of just a couple of keystrokes is all I need and it'll it brings what to me what I want Rather than me go looking, you know, that's why I like what I like about Quicksilver. Well, it, from where you're describing Typeinator, it's a similar kind of thing. I know in my mind what I want to type, and and therefore I can have just a couple of keystrokes to do that. I um, got so used to it in Opera that when I came over to the Mac, I found that I was typing in my shortcuts and just pressing enter and expecting them to work. And of course, I was getting taken to some well strange sites. Because I was putting in like two little keys, and and it was taking me, uh, you know, to to strange places, shall we say? And that's one of the reasons that I found Saft, I think, because I was looking for all the features, and Saft did add quite a few. It was after that when I realised that I was going to need more than one browser. Um, I have different Gmail accounts, and you can't check the mail on different Gmail accounts in in one session you've got to log out log in and that's why I have these different browsers so I wanted it available across them all but once you get into the habit of using them you'll try using them all the time you'll be on your work machine wondering why they're not working you know mm, yeah I can see that and uh, you know it's, it's it's the same if I pick anyone else's Mac up that's not got Quicksilver installed <laughs> it takes me a little while a short little while to get into using it again you know and I, I've so well I've, I can imagine as you can imagine uh, the, the main person that I end up supporting with their use of the Mac is, is my mum, bless her. And, of course, <laughs> I installed Quicksilver on my mum's computer, not not purely, you know, just to, uh, for my mum to start using. It's just so when I'm around there and I'm helping out, because I find myself stuck without it, and you're obviously finding <laughs> that. You're finding that yourself if you're stuck, with, you know, when you're on a machine that's not got Type A, so it takes you to a few of those blank keystrokes that's not doing anything for you for you to suddenly get back into the into the old way of working. So well, it, you it mentioned just... Quicksilver there, and um, I found a, a, an odd use for Quicksilver, very useful. We were um, practising with something where we had uh, an iMac attached to an external screen, and you know when you've got things on different screens, mm -hmm. you can choose where the system dialogues appear. Uh -huh. Well, we were doing something complicated with a photo application, testing it, and we, at one point lost one of the screens so obviously this application had sort of you know, bad code in it and it took one of the screens down with it unfortunately it was the screen with um, access to the system preferences on it and with quicksilver of course you can use your quicksilver key and type in sysprev and up they come and that was happening like on the wrong screen and if we hadn't have had quicksilver we would have to have rebooted 
So um, and a little extra use for Quicksilver there when you can't actually see the screen. It's amazing, you know, like, okay, you, we might say that I can always get an iPhone into every conversation, but Quicksilver's another one I can always get into every conversation. <laughs> Well, it. you've managed twice so far. You're going to have to do uh, Quicksilver for a software review one week. Well, we, we certainly will. But I, I, I must admit, I'm going to have to have a go at Typinator. Uh, I, I think I'll have a look at it both because I was, I was looking. I like the idea what you said with Text Expander is the fact that it's running uh, in the system, uh, right, you know, as a service mm. rather than as a, a separate application. And I like that, you know, in, in a sense that like a slick operation side of it uh, i did that's no. why i went for that one first yeah. uh, but then i went over to typeinator i do like the dictionaries that come with it and um there's different ways that you can have this the shortcuts or the little codes expanded um you can either press enter or put um, a space in so you can say the whole word must match or you can have it as um, just a secret code and it doesn't have to match the whole word. It could be part of a word. I found Typeinator gave me a, a few little extra options in that regard that I particularly liked. But they are very, very similar applications. There's probably just your personal preference to choose between them. Really is. is. Uh, well, I mean, I've just looked up the price for Typeinator was, as I said, 19 99 euros. What's, uh, do you know what Text Expander is? I'm just going to look it up. I think it's twenty nine ninety nine dollars. Oh well, again, it's similar price, then, isn't it? A very similar price. Yeah, no and the other one was um, Type It For Me, which I didn't get round to testing, because the thing with these applications is to make it um, worthwhile giving it a good test, you take quite a while to put in your little shortcuts, which was why Typeinator was handy. It shipped with so many auto correction entries uh, to give it like a good go before you started, and then it's just a case of you adding little ones to it but once you start using this you'll start adding in loads of things which is why the groups feature is really handy that you can group them together so I have uh, as you'll see from the blog post I have one um, collection which is all my URLs and then I have another collection which is all um, the things that I constantly spell wrong and so forth and I have them in little collections that way I can just drag and drop them out to back them up oh, I'm just looking at um the website for Text Expander. Uh, it's a company called Smile on My Mac. Mm -hmm. And it's another example of the great third party developers. I think between us, you know, we can all agree that some of our favourite uh, applications that we use the most are some, for some of these uh, great third party developers pushing out software that's brilliant, useful, that's not, uh, uh, that's a very, very reasonable price as well. And so now, I mean, that's one of the another one of the great things we found about using switching to the Mac is some of the great third-party software that's you know designed you know to such uh, high quality and and put brilliant value for money. I, you know, Two of my favourites are actually uh, made by uh, I think single programmers. One of them, which I know you use, so I'll use that one second, or you'll get overexcited. Uh, one of them's called Scrivener which you may or may not have heard of. That is um, a, a guy called Keith who's programmed it. An amazing application, absolutely amazing. If you told me he'd had 50 programs working on it, I'd believe you, because it is that good. And the other one um, is the one you use, which is I Show You. 
Yeah. And again, one guy programmed it and it just it just works. They're elegant, they do the job, you've not got problems crashing right and left with them. They're just wonderful pieces of software. I'm just looking at the site for Type It For Me that you mentioned before and the single user uh, license there is just $27. And uh, mm. that's, that one's written by a, a guy based in the UK as well. Is yeah. it? Brilliant. Based, I didn't based know in that. London. Oh, oh, buy British, buy British, we say. That's it. Yeah, well, so I haven't even tried that one, so that, that's bad of me, really, isn't it? <laughs> no, but, but that's again. Let's be honest. We're certainly not going to be struggling for content for this section of the podcast, are we? Not with the number because, of applications yeah. I tried test and install. No. Yeah. Oh no, it's fantastic. Oh, so well, uh, really, think... today was talking about a technique. It didn't really matter what you what application you use to do it. It's the same technique. It's just actually sitting down on somebody saying. Did you know you could use it for this? And it's like, oh wow! And it's just a, it's just a technique. You may have sat there and used it for months and months, correcting your spellings before you twigged that you could actually use it for something else by using that little section key or a different key. And that way, it's never going to inadvertently expand it for you, which you know it would do if you were using proper words for it. So just a technique today, guys. Just a technique, but lots of software to have a look at to uh, implement it with. Excellent. Okay, well that's about it for this episode of MacBytes. As uh, usual, we'd love to get your feedback and your comments, uh, either in audio form or via email. Uh, either way, you can send uh, your comments to macbytesuk at gmail.com or you can simply leave a comment on the website at macbytes.co.uk. Uh, a mention for our next episode, which is a leopard special, live from the Apple Store in the Trafford Centre, Manchester. So we'll be there, come and have a chat, just say hello or chat about leopard. And with that, it's goodbye and see you next time. See you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.